Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Welcome to Talking Tourism. My name is Rachel Williams and I'm your host for today's episode. This podcast series is for Tasmania's tourism sector and it's proudly brought to you by the Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania, which is of course the peak advocacy body for the wonderful tourism industry in Tasmania. Today I'm joined by Robert Kelman, who is the Director of Asia Pacific of the ReLoop platform. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, Rachel. That's, you're based in Hobart and you are working all across the Asia-Pacific region alongside some other amazing people right across the globe. Tell us a little bit about what ReLoop is. ReLoop, yeah, it's an EU-based organisation. I'm uh, down here. We have one person in the US and then we have a couple of people in the in Europe who advocate for the phase-out of single-use plastics, increased recycled content in various packaging materials, um, other waste kind of recycling outcomes and, of course, collection systems such as deposit schemes on bottles and cans, which gladly at last Tassie's going to have in the next couple of years. It's taken a long time for Tasmania to get its head around this system, hasn't it? It's been on the cards and been debated ad nauseum almost over the last couple of decades. Yeah, look, it has. There was, a, to be honest, there was a fairly strong resistance from beverage producers to have those schemes come in. Um, and then a number of years, about five or six years ago, New South Wales followed South Australia, which has had a scheme for 40 odd years, uh, and broke ranks. Yeah, if you like, it was the first big state to really break ranks. The Northern Territory had introduced one as well. But once you had New South Wales, then it became a bit of a domino. Um, so Queensland then followed. Uh, WA has just started to have a deposit scheme in the last month, few weeks, first uh, of October 2020. And Tassie went next. So as the former Minister for the Environment, um, uh, Matthew Groom, said to me, we don't want to be the last. So Tassie isn't the last. Well done. Tassie is going to have a scheme and Victoria is going to as well. But Tassie announced its first. So now we're in the process of developing those schemes. They will be uh, unified across the country in terms of what the consumer sees on the bottle. It will be 10 cents. For a bottle to start, we would imagine that might go up as as you know the years go by because ten cents is not a really strong motivator. It used to be five cents though, didn't it? Back in, in the day, in South Australia, it was five cents, and what they found was that after a time, inflation led to a drop of the recycling rate. So once it dropped to, to a certain level, then they increased theirs to ten. Um, we'll see that again. I mean, and even ten cents is globally very low. Uh, most European states are in the sort of range of thirty cents. I mean, I think uh, Scotland's introducing a scheme. They're starting at twenty p, twenty pence, which is around about forty cents. So that's a very large motivator for the consumer to engage with that scheme to get that money back. Ten cents is is very low. What we really are going to need in Tassie for that scheme to be really effective and work uh, is for that scheme to be very convenient. Convenience is the number one driver of successful container refund schemes because, you know, again, at 10 cents, you really need to put these collection facilities where people can get their refund and drop their bottle off really in their face. That needs to be at retail locations where people are naturally going anyway, 
yeah, they're taking their shopping bags these days. They'll take their bottles. They'll they'll drop off their containers. They'll get their refund. They'll probably spend it in the store. Well, they can get cash as well, but generally people will do their shopping at the same time. So that's convenient for people. Uh, and that's what we want to see for Tasmania. So how much work are you doing behind the scenes to actually advocate for the way it is going to be developed? A fair bit. I've been on most of the sort of stakeholder and technical reference groups in around the country, uh, and that includes in Tassie, and I'm on the what they call technical advisory group now in New Zealand. So New Zealand will also, well, again, they haven't made the final decision. Cabinet haven't made the final decision. We've just had an election there. Uh, but we anticipate that this new Labor government will introduce a, a scheme in New Zealand as well. So I'm involved in the government there. I'm sort of contracted to the New Zealand government to help them develop that as well. So you've been involved in the industry for 20 years. How long have you actually had this task on the front of your diary of your desk to say, I must get these container deposits yeah. sorted? Yeah, look, I mean, I well, for one of for a bit of history, I worked for about 10 years in the 90s for Greenpeace all around the world and then went into this corporate sustainability and various things like this and then started involved in this particular campaign, yeah, well, gosh, it must be sort of 18 years ago. And I've come in and out at various times. And now I um, I work with the Australian Council of Recycling as well, advocating for really, really good schemes. Because there's there are good schemes and there's poor schemes. An inconvenient scheme is a poor scheme. And so we continue to fight for that convenient outcome, a convenient infrastructure for Tassie. So I'm assuming during that 18 years there have been times when you've hit your head against the wall a few times and said, "What? Yeah. What? why? Why isn't it being taken up? Is there an answer that's easy to explain? There is, but Luke might not, might not <laughs> like the answer. So I, well, what can not, we publish? <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'll give the complete answer here, but look, beverage producers have uh, been pretty vociferous in their opposition. Their fear is that it's going to cost them something. Effectively, uh, you know, they, I guess they they're might. still producing the same amount of bottles, though. Yeah, I mean, they would say that they would say in the first little while there is a drop in sales. I'm not sure that there's evidence for that around the world because they believe that that additional ten cents sends a price signal to consumers, and some consumers, instead of buying a can of fizzy drink, might instead buy a paddle pop or something like that because of this sort of price signal. There is a little bit of evidence that there's an initial drop, but then it goes back to trend in terms of growth in 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 containers. Look, the world has significantly changed in the last five years when it comes to plastics, right? Your kids, our kids, and us are all conscious of the fact that the ocean is being littered with plastic, right? You know, we've all heard of those shocking figures around there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish within the next few years, right? I mean, a figure I presented at the conference this morning was that around between 40 and 50% of every single seabird and every single marine mammal, whales, dolphins, etc., have ingested plastic, right? Because they see it as a sort of jellyfish or whatever. Now, and we've seen the horrible images of seabirds with their guts full of plastics and unable to consume any more food and dying of hunger. You know, it will be really interesting actually to see, I'm assuming they'll do autopsies on the pilot whales that were stranded off the off the west coast a, a couple a month or so ago. I'm I'm sure they'll do autopsies. It will be really interesting to see what comes out of those 
and see if plastic is playing a part in all of that. But look, plastic, marine plastic pollution is a disaster. It doesn't break down. Millions of years that stuff is going to stay in the environment. We've got to move away from single-use plastics. Having a deposit scheme will result in 85 to 90%, if it's a good scheme, of that material coming back for, for, for recycling. So that's aluminium, plastics, glass, you know, all of those sort of different containers. So that's a that's a great outcome for Tassie. So as consumers, we need to make sensible decisions. Um, what, from a tourism operator perspective, can people do? I know, I know there's been a huge shift towards, especially with coffee, keep cups and the paper straws that you can only get half your drink out of because they disintegrate by the time you're through to the end of your smoothie. Um, what What can people be doing to help from a tourism perspective? Well, brilliant young woman I was just sitting with at uh, lunch from Tourism Tassie has this great idea, which is to give every visitor a keep cup and like a water, you know, a refillable water bottle. And, you know, you might give them a sort of reusable cutlery and, you know, just as a little kind of indicator. I mean, look, there's no doubt um, some of the figures are that 37, 40% of uh, tourists that come to Tassie want to go to a natural place, want to experience wilderness or nature or something. Now, look, a lot more will experience that because of the environment we're surrounded by. But look, government policy is coming into play here. So Hobart Council, for instance, has banned um, single-use, um, you know, cutlery and cups and those sort of things. So, so, And we saw the media, I don't know if you recall, but the media around that was really positive the next day with lots of shop owners going, great, we're doing it already, you know, happy to to sort of take this on board. There was some whinging at the margins, but effectively people are on board with that idea. I think one of the major messages for the tourism and hospitality and, you know, this kind of sector is you can drive change across into government. So by you adopting compostable packaging, um, you know, reusable packaging, that sends the message back to government that it's okay to institute policy on this because the the economy, tourism industry, et cetera, is showing the way and leading. Now, they're, by their demand, they're, they're, they're meaning that industries are, are, are setting up to create this reusable, compostable, recyclable material and all those sort of things. So there's a, there's a lot going on. We don't need just to wait for government. Government is acting. But in fact, the actions of this particular sector will also lead to to government change. The sector is pretty remarkable. It adapts pretty quickly. And uh, during COVID, obviously, the the move to take away from many hospitality industry um, businesses because of the shutdown with COVID, I'd be interested to see how many extra bits of packaging would were actually used by the Tasmanian industry during COVID because it was certainly a different way of buying products, wasn't it? Yeah, and again, another great young woman who was at the, my table just then from National Parks was saying they saw a massive increase in in reusable coffee cups and all that kind of stuff um, during this time. And, you know, we all know we went with our keep cup and the, the coffee shop said, no, you can't use it. So there has been a lot more waste generated. I mean, you know, the curbside bin is now chock-a-block full of cardboard from all the online sales that have occurred as well. So there's a, there's a lot of change. Look, you know, the federal government is banning the export of some of this material. So we're going to have to reuse this material within Australia um, as well. So there's a there's a lot going on. Uh, I, I think it's inevitable that within the next couple of decades, really single-use plastics will be just a thing of the past. You know, they're going to be a bit like a, 
everyone will be driving electric cars, right? We kind of know that. My, my mechanic tells me that that will be happening within – he's out of a job within 10 years unless he becomes an electrician. Yeah, unless he becomes an electrician. But I think that that, that trajectory of moving away from single-use plastics is happening. And I think, you know, the, the community is expecting that and tourism, the visitors to Tassie will be expecting that. I have no doubt that there is a lot of tourism and hospitality operators listening to this from the sector who are already all over it and are doing great things. And so they're happy to reduce a little bit of their margin because they know they're doing it for the greater good. Is that the the mantra of the new age generation of of people who are doing business around the world? But it's also about staying in business. I mean, none of those operators want to see an Instagram post of their plastic packaging in some waterway somewhere that some tourist is, and that is a disaster for the business. So, yeah, there might be marginal you know, cost differences, but a lot of this sort of stuff is levelling out in terms of price, you know, and as more demand comes in uh, for this material, the economies of scale come in and things will sort of equalise. Yeah, but the cost centre, of course, is is going to be a driver. Um, and so the Tasmania historically has had challenges with recycling, being an island state and access and the, the, the economics of how you can sustain it. Um, has that levelled out and sorted itself out now? To a degree. I mean, yeah, recycling generally costs. I mean, one of the other things that I work on is tyre recycling, yeah, and so um, until a few years ago we had very poor regulations around tyre recycling and we have a massive stockpile in Longford of about one and a half million tyres. That is a disaster, right? That If we had another dry season, which we won't this year, another dry summer, and there's a grass fire and that hits that pile of tyres, I tell you what, we are in for a real big pain around that Longford area. So that, that stockpile has to be removed. We're not going to create any more of those stockpiles because the government has stepped in and regulated that industry now. That has meant that because you can't just dump those tyres on a, on a pile on a farmland in Longford, you've got to pay a bit more. So the tyre recovery, what you might, what Bob Jane or Bridgestone or who, one of these re- retailers who are actually probably doing the right thing previous in any case, but they'll be paying, you know, a little bit more for the disposal of that tyre than they were before. But I think that's generally accepted. The, com- the consumer isn't going to complain about a couple of bucks on a tyre that might cost 80 or 100 bucks each or whatever it might be. Um, you know, and generally, but we need regulation. Regulation drives that because unfortunately in that particular space, we saw some retailers didn't care. They didn't care that their tyres were ending up in a stockpile in, in Longford. So we do need sort of regulatory intervention as well. And it, But recycling, it does cost for the most part. You know, there can be returns. Some materials are easier to recycle than others. A glass bottle, pretty easy, yeah? A tyre, very difficult. Or a mattress, very difficult. You know, these, it just depends on the nature of the material. And I'm assuming as we continue to innovate and, and get all these smart people involved that there will be new initiatives to be able to address those issues moving into the future? Because I'm assuming 40 years ago recycling wasn't even a word. <laughs> well, yeah, except Granny would say, of course, they recycled everything, right? You know, we all was just part of it. You didn't throw anything away and p- things weren't made just to last for a few years. We all know that we're thinking about our smartphone within a year and do I need a new one? Wow. Where have we come to? Yeah, so things are much more, uh, the life cycle of things are much slower. So recycling is is kind of like much more important. But, yeah, I think back in the day, if you like, th- things were just reused over and over and over again. You know, cars lasted forever. 
there wasn't the actual act of taking mm. a bottle, breaking it, it down, recreating, of, was it? No, no, it wasn't thought of recycling. It was refilled, yeah. You feel, still find these fantastic old piles of uh, refillable Cascade or, or Bogues bottles on farms. Uh, yeah, that sort of stuff, yeah. <laughs> what got you interested in in this fascinating industry? What was it? Was it a, a, as a young child you decided that oh. you wanted to make a difference? <laughs> Give us a bit of that Well, history. that's a really great question. Look, I floated around and did lots of different things to about 25 and then I knew I wanted to do something and a friend of mine was working at Greenpeace and I was living in London. I went, that's it. That's my calling. I went back, knocked on doors, raised funds back in the sort of late 80s or something like this. And then, um, yeah, worked for Greenpeace in New Zealand and the UK and in Australia, uh, you know, for like uh, 10 years or a bit longer. And then and then eventually sort of left and but stayed in the kind of in the sustainability kind of space and then came to Tassie only 10 years ago. And, uh, yeah, things have just sort of proceeded to to go along that sort of course. I don't know. There's no career trajectory. Kids, you don't need just to go to university. Your life will be okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Tasmania, a decade here, is is it your Mm. forever home and you're going to live to see the container deposit finally and have it on your gravestone? (laughs) I did it. Uh, Yeah, I'll be very pleased to see that. Well, I just bought a shack in uh, uh, just north of Bichino for what it's worth. It's only a caravan but – Nevertheless, sort of got a little, you know, placeholder on the sort of east coast, which is good. And, you know, yeah, the kids here, I mean, they love mountain biking and I'm not sure where else you would go, to be honest. So what are the logistics in the coming years then of when Mm. we will actually be able to send the kids off down the street to find the bottles and go and get their hopefully 20p's worth of of money? (laughs) Yeah, well, we're we're waiting for a cabinet, final cabinet sort of decision. So the cabinet needs to look over the proposal from the EPA. The EPA have done a great job, I think, engaging with stakeholders and talking about, you know, what sort of scheme we should have. That's principally around the governance of the scheme. Things like what will be covered, which is basically bottles larger than 150 mils up to about three litres, but it won't include things like white milk. Flavoured milk will be in, but your day-to-day white milk won't won't be in. And at this stage, possibly also wine bottles won't be in. But there's well, a, there goes my profit for the year. I was planning <laughs> on making of recycling them. <laughs> your vertical uh, <laughs> thing there. Um, that's a bit of a shame, and I think there's what we'll need to do with Tassie though is we'll need to incorporate into the other states. So wine should be in, right? Beer is in, but wine and spirits aren't. Now, that's an historic legacy of South Australia not having wine, which people know that it should be because we need to get glass out of the curbside bin. Everyone knows their curbside bin, right? You put all your paper and your various sort of packaging, you know that every now and again a glass bottle breaks in there. Well, the impact of that is bad. It impregnates paper and cardboard with bits of glass, which lowers the value of that cardboard. Yeah, can sometimes make it unrecyclable as well. So we need as much glass out of the curbside bin as possible and within into the container deposit scheme. What we'll see in Tassie is that private the private sector will come in once this scheme's established. They will build facilities in Tassie for collection. So you'll have this separate stream of recycling. Ideally, as I mentioned, I think there'll be collection points at your local Coles or Woolies or Aldi or Hill Street. Winery or... or- well, those sort of boutique Rachel places. does sound we need to get you out of this room sort of <laughs> fairly quickly. Um, but wine will eventually come in, I think, 
there'll be a harmonisation and there are conversations going at sort of different state EPA levels about having wine introduced into the scheme. Again, unfortunately, there's been a bit of pushback from the wine industry about being included. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a shame really because, you know, everyone's got to take responsibility for their waste. You and I do that at home. Why shouldn't the wine industry, for instance, take responsibility for the waste, for the end-of-life product that, you know, they've put the wine in? You know, really 10 cents on a wine bottle, marginal when you're looking at, you know, the, the, the cost of a bottle of wine. The, the problem for the beverage producers has always been uh, we don't want to be involved in that. It's going to cost us something to be involved with that. Let's fight it. Um, but I think eventually wine will come in. And being, I'm assuming, the first to go, the first to be have that point of difference, that will be a good, not novelty factor, but something you can sort of hang your marketing hat on a little bit? Well, it would be regulated. If it comes in, you you would have to be involved I don't think as a wine merchant, I'm sure there's a lot of people in, the, in, in this conference that as winemakers would be happy to get involved because they would see the sustainability responsibility and the benefits and all those sort of things. But, you know, you're not, it's pretty difficult to do that on a sort of voluntary basis. And if it's not regulated, then uh, the, the recycling industry won't be paid to collect that material and they just, they won't, they won't be motivated to do that. But look, I think again, in the next few years, Every state will change their scheme and regulate that wine wine should be involved. But I think the other exciting thing, as I mentioned in the in the conference this morning, is the possibility of refillable bottles. Yeah, so you know your your the craft brewing industry could voluntarily enter into a refillable scheme um, in Tassie. Uh, you know, set up reverse logistics, have the bottles cleaned. Um, and again, that would be an exciting differentiator that I think you could see actually emerge in Tassie. Mm, no, mm. It sounds, and I know there's a couple of boutique cider producers that you take your growler and you get it filled up on your Friday night and take it back the next week. It yeah, right. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a couple of those. Okay. Yeah. So just finally then, mm. um, a couple of tips, I suppose, that you can leave the industry with um, heading into this new future of possibly and hopefully no single-use plastics, but also more so the, the refund scheme. What should businesses in the tourism industry be doing now to make sure they're ready? The container refund scheme, um, you might find as a hospitality venue, you know, you have a whole, a whole lot of bottles being left over that, the, that tourists aren't seeking to get their deposit back. Be aware that that's going to be valuable. You know, if you've got a couple of hundred bottles a week that are being left behind, there's, there's some money to, you know, make sure you separate it. Make sure it goes back in through the container refund scheme and not just into the curbside bin. That's a much cleaner stream of material, which would be much more valuable and much more likely then to go for bottle-to-bottle recycling rather than, for instance, glass, which often just ends up as road base, which is a kind of downcycling. I mean, I think the other thing that's worth bearing in mind, as I mentioned in the, the presentation this morning, I went to this great little, just a little cafe in St Helens recently, and there was a shop there and they were separating all of the compostable material that they used, you know, the the bioplastics and this kind of stuff. And, you know, there was a young woman there who was really diligent around it and doing really, you know, really thinking about stuff and telling a consumer, oh, no, don't put it in there, you know, put it in this bin. We'll Their challenges around there is that there's no a commercial com- composting facility. Now, a lot of this biodegradable material like the cutlery and the keep, you know, the, the um, biodegradable cups and these kinds of things, plates, et cetera, 
need to go into commercial composting. They don't start to break down until they get to about 65 degrees Celsius, right? It's a lot better than plastics. Don't get me wrong. If it does end up in the waterway, it will break down. A fish eats it. Okay, it's not going to be like plastic, sit there forever. But ideally, you have it going back through a composting facility. If and when Tassie gets a landfill levy, there's going to be a whole lot of funds, $10, 12, $12 million a year, going back to the state government that they can use for infrastructure. There could be a commercial composting facility on the East Coast, St. Helens, or wherever it might be. There could be one up one or two up north so that this material which is collected comes back and is actually broken down properly as it should be. And that, you know, again, the government could help to fund that kind of facility. Then it's a full closed loop, you know, kind of arrangement. But look, the industry I think is thinking outside the square. Think about your your, number one, reuse, right? If you can avoid um, single-use anything, let alone plastics, avoid it. If you can wash the plates, wash the cups, do that first, yeah? Have all of that sort of stuff reused, and that's number one. If you then have to be in the space where you're getting into the takeaway zone, and and this is post the sort of COVID sort of stuff, yeah, use compostable materials, then then go to recycling. But that's, that would be the sort of hierarchy. Sounds as though you're as passionate now as you were about it when you uh, started uh, working with Reloop. So thank you so much for your time today, Robert. I appreciate it. And we look forward to, no doubt, uh, singing your praises once everything does work its way out with the refund scheme and, and the reduction in single-use plastic. So that was Robert Kelman, the Director, Asia-Pacific of Reloop Platform, joining us in today's episode of Talking Tourism. Thanks for your company. I'm Rachel Williams. We will be with you again for another podcast episode in the future. Bye for now. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism. 